Welcome to the Australian Christian Lobby's Voice for Values. Welcome to Voice for Values. I'm Martin Isles. Ever since last year's same-sex marriage debate, there's been much talk about religious freedom. What will the change in the law mean for people who continue to believe something different about marriage? Will they be able to speak out about it, tell others, run organisations that operate according to their beliefs, express their beliefs in public or at work or at university? The truth is that without religious freedom protections in law, there are no guarantees and this threatens many Christians and Christian organisations in what they can and can't do. And one area of significant concern uh, to me and to us here at ACL is the integrity of Christian schools. Will they be able to continue to operate according to Christian beliefs and require adherence to those beliefs by staff and students? And of course, that's especially a query around the issues that are always controversial, like marriage, family, gender and sexual orientation. And I'm joined today by my friend Mark Spencer to discuss this very important issue. Mark is the Executive Officer of Policy, Governance and Staff Relations at Christian Schools Australia. Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks, Martin. Pleasure to be here. Mark, uh, when it comes to Christian schooling, I'm sure a lot of people uh, who are listening will be instinctively supportive. Uh, but perhaps we could just uh, hone in on the value of Christian schooling, what Christian schooling is all about uh, in Australia. It's quite a large movement, am I right? It is quite a large movement, and a large movement with a very long and proud history. Uh, the first schools in Australia were, were Christian schools, started by Reverend Johnson in the first church in Australia in Sydney. Mm. And throughout our uh, recent history, the churches had a, a huge involvement in provision of education, um, particularly the Catholic Church has been very strong over many decades, and we we need to acknowledge their real commitment to providing faith-based education in, in the Catholic tradition to an enormous number of students across the, the years. It's about now about 20 odd percent of, of uh, our students are in Catholic schools across the country. Um, more recently, uh, the Protestant Church uh, really got back into Christian schooling in the last 40, 50 years with a, a new generation of uh, affordable fee, faith-based schools, and very overtly, very explicitly Christian in their character and nature. Uh, they're the sort of schools that, that I'm involved in and represent. Um, and you know, we're now growing to, to be around 5% or thereabouts of the the total school population are in schools like us, but uh, even more broadly across the non-government school sector, Catholic and other independent schools, there's about 35% of all students are in our schools across the country, and the vast majority of those are in faith-based schools of one sort or another. So Mark, my parents sent me to a Christian school, I'm a product of the Christian schools movement, and they sent me really because they were concerned that their kids would go somewhere that they thought was a, a safe environment, somewhere that supported their own moral and religious beliefs, um, and somewhere that they thought was comparatively um, a, a place where their kids would be, would be uh, nurtured in that faith tradition. Is that the main driver for 
uh, most parents sending their kids along or is there a bigger spectrum? I mean, you say here there's 5% in Protestant schools, 20% in Catholic schools, 35% all up, including independent. That's a big portion of the population. So what's motivating all of those people to send their kids to, to Christian schools in particular? Look, I have to be honest, and there are a range of motivations. For many people, it certainly is their faith, their values. They want their children to grow up in, in the context where those values are, are taught and shared. Uh, for some people, it's about protection. Um, and they may not be able to articulate why a Christian school will protect them or support or nurture their children better, but often implicit in that decision is a sense of it being a faith-based school and the values and the aspects of our faith that they appreciate and value are what they're looking for. So whether they articulate directly as being because of the faith or indirectly because of the values and protection and nurture, it's, it all comes down to that essential religious faith basis for our schools. And is it fair to say, Mark, that even for those who don't send their kids to faith-based schools, the movement represents a value to them? Because as you say, if it's 35%-ish all up going to faith-based schools, the, uh, the pressure that's released from the taxpayer must be significant because these are, these are cheaper to run for the government than state schools. Is that right? They certainly are, although that's, I mean, that's not the major reason we exist. We actually make a lot of contributions beyond the, the pure taxpayer dollar saving to, sure. to the governments. Um, and all the parents in our schools pay their taxes as well. Um, so there are benefits both in the uh, sense of principles and freedom, the freedom of choice for parents to, to choose a school, whether it be a faith-based school or another school that reflects their, their values and beliefs whether it reflects um, savings to a taxpayer in terms of uh, funding support uh, in, in non-government schools, or whether it uh, reflects some of the long-term social benefits. And there's been evidence uh, in surveys internationally, and we're hoping to replicate that in Australia to get the, the Australian data, but there's certainly clear evidence from North America that uh, Students who have attended faith-based schools are more likely to be civically involved, more likely to be volunteering, more likely to be donating to charitable causes. There are a whole range of social benefits that come from faith-based schools. So, Mark, it sounds to me like, um, uh, and I hope to our listeners, that the faith-based schooling movement is a significant uh, institution in Australia and it's something that is contributing enormously to the education of kids uh, and also more broadly to positive outcomes for kids and servicing a sector that is it's providing a service that's very much in demand. Um, where I want to move after the upcoming break is to talk about whether or not there are real concerns around the integrity of the movement as it has always existed so successfully uh, going forward in light of the religious freedom debate uh, that is currently ongoing. So let's return to that subject uh, after the break. Back soon. Voice for Values at acl.org.au Welcome back to Voice for Values. I'm Martin Isles. 
My guest today is Mark Spencer, the Executive Officer of Policy, Governance and Staff Relations at Christian Schools Australia. And I'm talking to Mark about the Christian schooling movement, its benefits to Australia and the uh, the service that it provides to so many parents and so many students at a, at a critical phase in their life. But in particular, we're talking about the implications for Christian schools and different faith-based schools of changes to religious freedom policy and the discussion of religious freedom that's currently taking place at the federal level. Mark, we talked so much uh, before the break about what a great thing the Christian schooling movement is, and I'm anxious to make that point because, as I said, I myself am a product of the Christian schools movement, and I have seen it firsthand, and my parents have enjoyed the fruits of that for their children and and servicing their needs. Um, But right now we have this discussion on religious freedom taking place at a federal level. It's a discussion that's really been very strong in the last few months. Can I just ask, what has changed that has brought that discussion on? And what is the concern for you guys at, at the Christian schools coalface in this area? Well, if I could take a, a little step back for a moment and sure. uh, just to talk about the, the nature of Christian schools, because it's really vital to understanding the, the threats that we're facing. Education is not just about you know, one plus one is two in, in our schools. Sure, it's about one plus one is two, but it's also about why one plus one is two, how maths is a language that reflects the, the ordered and cr- nature of our creator. You know, when we talk about the history, the Judeo-Christian impact, the heritage of modern Australia and the institutions we have built on those biblical foundations. And when you talk about English and, you know, Shakespeare and the great writers and, and my wife's an English teacher and she'll tell you about all the, the biblical references in, in Shakespeare's work and other great writings. Education's more than just uh, a narrow, bland, isolated, values-free academic curriculum. Sure. It's about the, the broader, the holistic, <laughs> educating the whole child. And that's what we try doing in Christian schools. Hmm. So any any threat to that, anything that's going to impede our, our ability to engage staff who not only acknowledge that, but actually believe it, who can live it out, who can reflect that in their relationships, who can reflect that in the answers they might have to... You know, informal questions in the playground or on the school bus or, you know, a sick child in the sick bay. You know, we'll, we'll ask you know, sometimes the, the staff in the sick bay and, and they'll often pray for them, you know, for, for healing. It's about religious faith being lived out in all of the, of the life of the school. So any challenge to that really fundamentally changes the nature of our schools. So that really is a primary concern, is it, Mark? A a challenge to the ability for Christian schools to employ and retain staff that share, that believe and live out their values. That's really at the heart of it. We need staff who can share, live out, believe their values. As he said, we need the freedom to be able to teach in a manner that's consistent with and reflecting biblical truth and our understanding of what God's best is for our students and and our society. And we also need at times, unfortunately, um, the ability to, to protect our faith communities. Uh, and that might be by excluding people from that community, hopefully only for a season, but uh, to be able to protect the fundamental nature and character of that community if their behaviour is undermining that. So there are three elements of what really are the essential freedoms we see uh, in a Christian school. And are those freedoms uh, currently being undermined? Is that a po- current policy concern that you have? And what's the, what's the source of that undermining, do you think? In many ways, it's not new. This has been a problem that's been going on for some time. Mm. We've had, uh, uh, and part of the problem is that the nature of the protections we currently have at present, we have anti-discrimination laws, equal opportunity laws around the states and territories. And they broadly, the way they're structured is they broadly prohibit discrimination, something that, that uh, we'd all agree with. But to make that, that broad prohibition work, they also have a range of exemptions. And uh, the exemption that we uh, have the ability to take advantage of is the exemption that allows us to employ staff who, who believe and share our faith. 
but the nature of that protection, the nature of our religious freedom being protected by exemptions, is a it's a fairly poor mechanism to to do that. It's it's almost a per- permission to do the wrong thing, which is not what it's about. They're they're really designed to to help balance uh, different rights: the right to non discrimination and the right to religious freedom, one of the oldest human rights in the world. I mean, it's not that unusual either, is it, Mark? Because uh, certainly when it comes to the ability for organisations to employ staff and retain staff that uphold their ethos, there's also exemptions in these discrimination regimes, say, for political parties to say, well, you know, if you're the Greens, you don't have to hire a staff member from the Australian Conservatives. No one's going to require you to do that. You can discriminate on the basis of their political opinion. It makes sense because that's the nature of your organisation. Whereas you guys have exactly the same circumstance where the nature of your schools is that they are faith-based. And so you need to be able to choose staff to uphold the uh, integrity of that ethos. And not only that, but in relation to that particular exemption, there's no need to justify that exemption. Exactly. It's been demanded in many jurisdictions now, and increasingly that's the push. That exemption just happens by law automatically. Yes. So how could the... um Mark, how could the Ruddock Review help? Uh, I know that there is this religious freedom review going on at a federal level. Uh, are you expecting it to be useful? Um, uh, how could they help Christian schools? We're certainly hoping it will be useful, and we're hoping that it will give us the, the, the legal, the policy space in the, at least the short term to keep doing what we've been doing for many years, to keep providing the, the great holistic education our schools have been providing, to keep giving parents the choice around the education they want for their students. And so the concern really is that we are able, as Christians, and including Christian schools and other Christian groups, to continue to do what we have always done. This is not necessarily the seeking of fresh new rights or some kind of sword to go and attack others, but it is literally the freedom to do what we've always done. Exactly. And many people are trying to portray this as some zero-sum game, where if we have our rights continue, other people will lose their rights. That's simply not true. Hmm. Um, there's always been a creative tension, a discussion at the centre, a dialogue around rights and how they work out. Mm-hmm. But uh, of course. That's, that's nothing new. We've been doing that for years. Absolutely. It's, it's called living exercise. in a, a complex society. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's right. Mark, look, very quickly, uh, we're going to have to wrap up, but I would like to just touch on one more thing uh, very briefly, and that is what should Christians, particularly Christians or parents maybe, be doing to ensure, given that there are threats to Christian schooling and its integrity and other areas like that, what could they be doing, for example? What should Christians be doing to help out to make sure that these threats are staved off into the future? Well, certainly I think uh, as the church, as, as we being the church, we need to be more active in, in telling our story, telling the, the good things about Christian schools. Uh, if you're a Christian school parent, telling the good things about other good works that the church is doing more broadly. When we're involved in, in local community groups, uh, firstly, we need to make sure we get involved in local community groups, hmm. professional associations, and talking about now, the things that we're doing, speaking biblical truth into those worlds, mm. challenging some of the really uh, poorly researched assertions that are made um, in the public square that, that really have no basis, in fact. Speaking mm. the truth in love, of course, but doing that uh, boldly. It's much easier to be one of a group of people defending a, a freedom than to be a lone voice who gets picked mm. off rather easily by those who are trying to attack you. Sure. Uh, look, Mark, thanks so much for coming on Voice for Values. Always appreciate your insights, uh, and we'll talk again. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Voice for Values from the Australian Christian Lobby at acl.org.au.